Section 32 of The Morals, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anna Simon. The Morals, Volume 1, by Plutarch. Translated by several hands. Corrected and revised by William W. Goodwin. Of Hearing, Part 2. Of Asking Questions. After this, it will be convenient to lay down some directions touching asking of questions. For it is true, he that comes to a great collation must eat what is set before him, not rudely calling for what is not to be had, nor finding fault with the provision. But he that is invited to partake of a discourse, if it be with that proviso, must hear with silence, for such disagreeable hearers as occasion digressions by asking impertinent questions and starting foolish doubts are a hindrance both to the speaker and the discourse without benefiting themselves but when the speaker encourages them to propose their objections he must take care that the question be of some consequence the suitors in homer scorned and derided ulysses to no brave prize aspired the worthless swain was but for scraps he asked and asked in vain because they thought it required a great and heroic soul no less to ask than to bestow great gifts but there is much better reason to slight and laugh at such a hearer as can please himself in asking little trifling questions thus some young fellows to proclaim their smattering in logic and mathematics upon all occasions inquire about the divisibility of the infinite or about motion through a diagonal upon the sides but we may answer them with philotimus who being asked by a consumptive physical person for a remedy against a whitlow and perceiving the condition he was in by his colour and his shortness of breath replied sir you have no reason to be apprehensive of that so we must tell them you have no reason young gentlemen to trouble yourselves about these questions but how to shake off your conceit and arrogance to have done with your intrigues and fopperies, and to settle immediately upon a modest and well-governed course of life, is the question for you. Great regard is to be had also to the genius and talent of a speaker, that we may inquire about such things as are in his way, and not take him out of his knowledge, as if one should propose physical or mathematical queries to a moral philosophy reader, or apply himself to one who prides himself on his knowledge of physics, to give his opinion on conditional propositions, or to resolve a fallacy in logic. For, as he that goes about to cleave wood with a key, or to unlock a door with an axe, does not so much misemploy those instruments as deprive himself of the proper use of them, so such as are not content with what a speaker offers them, but call for such things as he is a stranger to, not only are disappointed, but incur the suspicion of malice and ill-nature. Be cautious, also, how you ask questions yourself, or ask too often, for that betrays somewhat of conceit and ostentation. But to wait civilly while another proposes his scruples argues a studious spirit and willingness that others should be informed, unless some sudden perturbation of mind required to be repressed, or some distemper to be assuaged. For perhaps, as Heraclitus says, it is an ill thing to conceal even a man's ignorance, it must be laid open that the remedy may be applied. So also if anger or superstition, or a violent quarrel with your domestics, or the mad passion of love, which doth the very heart-strings move that never were stirred before, 
excite any commotion in your mind, you are not, for fear of being galled by reproof, to fly to such as are treating of other arguments, but you must frequent those places where your particular case is stating, and after lecture address yourself privately to the speaker for better information and fuller satisfaction therein. On the contrary, men commonly flatter themselves and admire the philosopher so long as he discourses of indifferent things, but if he come home to themselves and deal freely with them about their real interests, this they think is beyond all enduring, or at best a needless piece of supererogation. For they naturally think that they ought to hear philosophy in the schools, like actors on the stage, while in matters out of the school they believe them to be no better men than themselves. And, to confess the truth, they have but reason to think so of many sophists, who, having once left the desk and laid aside their books, in the serious concerns of human life, are utterly insignificant and even more ignorant than the vulgar. But they do not know that even the austerity or raillery of real philosophers, their very nod or look, their smile or frown, and especially their admonitions directed to particular persons, are of weighty importance to such as can brook or attend to them. Directions Concerning Praising As for commendation, some caution and mean is to be observed in it, because to be either deficient or excessive in that particular shows a base spirit. He is but a morose and rigid hearer, whom no part of an oration can work upon or move, one who is full of secret presumptuous opinion of himself, and of an inbred conceit that he could do better things himself, one who dares not alter his countenance as occasion requires, or let fall the least word to testify his good wishes, but with silence and affected gravity hunts after the reputation of a sagacious and profound person, and thinks that all the praise is lost to himself which he bestows on others, as if it were money. For many rest that sentence of Pythagoras, who used to say that he had learned by philosophy to admire nothing. But these men think that to admire nobody and to honour nobody consists in despising everybody, and they aim at seeming grave by being contemptuous. Philosophy, indeed, removes that foolish admiration and surprise which proceeds from doubt or ignorance by laying open to us the causes of things, but endeavours not to destroy all good nature and humanity. And those who are truly good take it for their greatest honour and commendation to be just in paying honour and commendation where it is due to others. And for a man to adorn another is a most glorious ornament, proceeding from a generous abundance of glory and honour in himself, while those who are niggardly in praising others only betray how poor and bare they are of praises at home. Not to be too prone to commend. Yet to use no consideration at all, but to stand up and make a clamour at every word or syllable, is to offend in the other extreme. Such fluttering fellows for the most part oblige not the speakers themselves, and are always a plague and common grievance to the hearers, exciting them many times against their inclination, and forcing them for very shame to join in the tumult. In the end, he that raised the disturbance receives no benefit by the discourse, but goes away with the character of a scoffer, or flatterer, or novice. A judge, it is true, ought to hear and determine without favour or ill-will, regarding only what is just and equitable but in philosophical proceedings the case is altered, where neither law nor oath ties up from being favourable to the speaker. And the ancients in their temples were wont to place the statue of Mercury among the graces, 
intimating that orators ought to find a propitious and good-natured audience for they thought it past all belief that any man could prove so much a blockhead or come so wide of the purpose that though he should make no remarks of his own and quote none of others worthy taking notice of or though the argument and the design of his discourse might not be commendable yet at least the order and disposition or the style should not deserve some applause as oft amidst the firs and thorny brakes the tender violets more securely peep for if some have undertaken successfully to speak in commendation of vomiting or a fever and have even made an encomium on a porridge pot not without some acceptance certainly a discourse from one that is the least pretence to philosophy cannot but afford some opportunity though it be a slight one for commendation to a well-disposed auditory plato says that all who are in their bloom in some way excite the amorous man the fair are the children of the gods the black are manly the hook-nosed have a look of majesty the flat nose gives a graceful air even the sallow complexion is complimented for looking like honey in spite of all their defects he cherishes and loves them all thus love like ivy must needs find something or other to lay hold on but much more will a studious hearer and scholar be sure to find some not unworthy reason for praising every speaker for plato in a narration of Lysias, disliking the invention and utterly condemning the disposition as confused yet praised the style and elocution because every word was wrought off cleverly and cleanly turned thus a man may see cause enough to disapprove the argument of archilochus the verse of parmenides the poverty of Phocylides, the eternal talk of euripides and inequality of style in sophocles and among the orators one has no manner another is not moving a third has nothing of ornament yet every one has his peculiar power of moving and exciting for which he is praised some again do not require of us to testify our acceptance by the voice a pleasing eye or cheerful look or a behaviour without anything of pain or uneasiness is all that they desire for the following favours are nowadays bestowed of course upon every oration though the speaker may speak to no purpose at all sitting modestly without lolling from one side to the other looking earnestly on the speaker in the posture of an attentive listener and with a countenance which betrays not only no contempt or ill-will but not even a mind otherwise employed for as the beauty and excellence of everything consists in the concurrence of many different accidents which contribute to the symmetry and harmony of the whole so that if but one inconsiderable part be away or absurdly added deformity immediately follows in like manner not only a supercilious look or forbidding mien or roving eyes or waving the body to and fro or indecent crossing of the legs but even a nod a whisper to another a scornful smile a sleepy yawn hanging of the head or the like are all likewise great indecorums and to be avoided with particular care yet some there are who can assign a speaker his part and think no duty incumbent on themselves all the while who will have them prepare and premeditate what he has to deliver and yet throw themselves into an auditory without any preparation or consideration as if they were invited to a feast to revel and take their pleasures at another's cost yet it is known that even a guest has some things required of him to make him suitable and agreeable and certainly a hearer has much more because he ought to be a sharer in the discourse and an assistant to the speaker 
neither will it become him to be severe at all turns upon every slight miscarriage or perpetually putting the speaker's elocution and action to the test while he himself is guilty of grosser enormities in hearing without danger or control but as at tennis he that takes the ball turns and winds his body according to the motion of the server so a kind of proportion is to be observed between the speaker and the hearer if both will discharge their several duties care to be observed in praising persons of all qualities neither ought we to use any expressions of praise indifferently for it is an ill thing which epicurus relates that upon reading any epistles from his friends those about him broke out into tumultuous applauses and such as daily introduce new forms into our auditories as divinely said superhuman inimitable as if those used by plato socrates and hyperides well wisely truly said were not sufficiently expressive exceed the bounds of decency and modesty nay indeed do but affront the speaker as though he were fond of such extravagant praises nor are they less odious and troublesome who confirm approbation with impertinent oaths as if they were giving their testimony for a speaker in a court of judicature and so likewise is it with such as observe not to give just deference to the quality of persons who to a philosopher are apt to cry out smartly said or to a reverend gentleman wittily floridly applying to philosophy such trifles as are proper to scholastic exercises and declamations and giving meretricious applause to a sober discourse as if a man should compliment the conqueror in the olympic games with a garland of lilies or roses instead of laurel or wild olive euripides the poet one day at a rehearsal instructing the chorus in a part that was set to a serious air one of the company unexpectedly fell out a-laughing sir said he unless you were very stupid and insensible you could not laugh while i sing in the grave mixolydian mood in like manner a master of philosophy and politics may put a stop to the unseasonable levity and pertness of a youngster by telling him you seem to be a madman and unacquainted with all manner of civility otherwise you would not hum over your tunes or practise your new steps while i am discoursing of gods or the laws of the supreme magistrate for consider seriously what a very scandalous thing it is that while a philosopher is in his discourse the passengers in the street from the clamour and hooting of the hearers should have reason to make it a question whether some piper or harper or morris dancer were got in among them of bearing admonitions and reproofs admonitions and reprimands ought to be taken neither altogether insensibly nor yet sheepishly for such as carry off a disgrace from a philosopher carelessly and without due concern so as to grin at his reprehensions or scoffingly to praise him for them as sharping parasites applaud the scurrilous reflection of their cullies such i say are shameless and insolent and betray only their invincible impudence which is no good or true argument of courage yet to bear handsomely without passion an innocent jest in a raillery is not unbecoming the breeding of a gentleman but a good accomplishment and altogether worthy of a spartan but when an exhortation to amendment of manners like a bitter potion is made up of harsh and unpleasant words in such a case for a youth instead of hearing submissively and running into a sweat or being seized with dizziness when the mind is on fire with shame and confusion 
to remain unmoved or sneer or dissemble his concernment is the certain sign of a dissolute and ill-bred man one whose soul like callous flesh being hardened with a course of debauchery will receive no scar or impression some young men indeed there are of a contrary disposition who having undergone one rebuke fly off without ever looking back turn renegades and quite desert philosophy these being naturally very modest have a good disposition toward a healthful habit of mind but vitiated by too much tenderness and effeminacy which disables them for bearing a reproof or manfully submitting to her correction and run after more pleasing harangues wherewith some flatterers and sophists soothe and bewitch them without any benefit or advantage for as he that flies from the surgeon after incision and will not suffer the ligature to be applied endures that part of his skill only which is painful rejecting what would give him ease so such a one as being lanced and scarified by a sharp oration has not patience till the wound be skinned over goes away from philosophy tortured and harassed without that benefit he might receive thereby for not only telephus's wound was cured by rusty filings of the spear as euripides has it but whatever pain philosophy may occasion to a meek disposition will be cured and removed by the same discourse that gave the wound he therefore that is reprehended must endure a while and away with some pain not presently be discouraged or out of heart let him behave himself as though he were to be initiated into the mysteries of philosophy still hoping after the lustrations and more troublesome ceremonies are undergone he shall enjoy some considerable effect of his present troubles and inconveniences or suppose he be wrongfully chidden it is but handsome to expect the conclusion after that he may make his defence and desire that such freedom and violence may be reserved to repress some other misdemeanour which really deserves it the difficulties in philosophy vincible but besides this as in grammar music and the exercises of activity there are many things which to young beginners appear troublesome laborious and obscure which at a fuller knowledge like acquaintance among men makes more agreeable ready and feasible in like manner though philosophy in its first terms and notions may seem uncouth and strange yet a man must not be so far discouraged at the first elements as to throw it up altogether but he must bid at all and ply his business hard and patiently expect that acquaintance which will make all easy and pleasant and that will not be long in coming bringing great light into things and exciting ardent affections to virtue without which to endure to live after one has through his own effeminacy fallen from philosophy is an argument of a mean spirit and servile disposition i must confess there is some difficulty in the things themselves which is not easily conquered by raw and unexperienced beginners yet the greatest part of the difficulty they bring upon themselves by their own ignorance and inadvertency falling into the same error from two contrary causes for some out of a foolish bashfulness and desire to be easy to the speaker are loath to be inquisitive or have the thing made plain to them and so they nod their assent to everything that is said as if they fully comprehended it and others out of unseasonable vainglory and vying with their fellows that they may vaunt their readiness of wit and quickness of apprehension pretend to understand things before they do and never understand them at all now the consequence in both cases is this 
the modest go away in a great deal of anxiety and doubt and are forced in the end with greater disgrace to interrupt the speaker to be informed again and the vainglorious are troubled to keep close and conceal the ignorance they carry about them therefore all such sheepishness and self-conceit being set aside let us learn to lay up in our minds whatever is usually said enduring to be laughed at by such a set-up for wits and railers this course took cleanthes and xenocrates who being somewhat slower than their fellows did not therefore give over hearing or despond but prevented the jests of others by comparing themselves to narrow-mouthed vessels and to copper plates because though they received learning with some difficulty yet they retained it surely for he that will be a good man must not only as Phocylides says, expect much fraud and many a time be caught, but be laughed at and disgraced, and endure many scurrilous and virulent reflections, he must also encounter ignorance and wrestle with it with all the strength of his mind, and subdue it too. Neither, on the other hand, must the faults be passed by which some troublesome people commit out of mere laziness and negligence, such men as will not bestow any pains in considering themselves, but asking often the same questions are a perpetual vexation to the speaker, like callow birds always gaping at the bill of the old one, and still reaching after what has been prepared and worked over by others. Another sort there are who, affecting the reputation of quickness and attention, confound the speaker with their pragmatical curiosity and jargon, always hailing in something unnecessary, and require demonstrations of things foreign to the business in hand. Thus a short way is long and tedious made, as Sophocles says, and that not only to themselves, but others also. For, by taking off the speaker with vain and unnecessary questions, they retard the progress of instruction, like travellers in the road, by impertinent halts and stops. Hieronymus compares these men to lazy and greedy curs, which within doors bite and tear the skins of wild animals, and lie tugging at their shaggy hair, but in the field they are not fastened upon beasts themselves. A concluding exhortation. Yet one exhortation let me leave with these people, that having received the general heads of things, they would supply the rest by their own industry, making their memory a guide to their invention, and that, looking on the discourse of others only as a kind of first principle or seed, they would take care to cherish and increase it. For the mind requires not like an earthen vessel to be filled up, convenient fuel and element only will inflame it with a desire of knowledge and ardent love of truth now as it would be with a man who going to his neighbours to borrow fire and finding there a great and bright fire should sit down to warm himself and forget to go home so is it with the one who comes to another to learn if he does not think himself obliged to kindle his own fire within and inflame his own mind but continues sitting by his master as if he were enchanted, delighted by hearing. Such a one, although he make it the name of a philosopher, as we get a bright colour by sitting by the fire, will never clear away the mould and rust of his mind, and dispel the darkness of his understanding by the help of philosophy. In fine, if there is any other precept concerning hearing, it is briefly this, to be careful in observing the last exhortation, that is, to join the exercise of our invention to our hearing, that so, while we lay down the rule that hearing well is the first step to living well, we may not content ourselves with a superficial commonplace knowledge,
but endeavour after such a philosophical habit as shall be deeply imprinted on the mind. End of section 32 of Hearing